Hello and welcome to the Dead Darlings podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney. I'm Laurie Eves. And I'm Hannah Hutzper. Dead Darlings is a monthly podcast for the spoken word community in London and beyond. Each month we'll be bringing you interviews, tips, inspiration and above all, awesome poetry from London's spoken word scene. We'll also be telling you what's on and where you can submit your work. This month we'll be interviewing Desiree and chatting about In Search of Equilibrium by Teresa Lola. And we'll be bringing you a poetry writing tip from Alexander Woodward and a poetry recording from one of our favourite poets. This month it's Joe Duggan. So, what have you guys been up to this month? This month has been a funny one from a personal standpoint. Um, but from a poetry standpoint, I have been, I did a feature set, a feature gig for Your Place, a poetry at Your Place with Rick the Most, our guest from two podcasts ago, which was absolutely lovely. I enjoyed it massively, even though I had to get up at for an 8.30 gig on a Sunday, 8.30 a.m. <laughs> gig on a Sunday. That makes me just sound like I've slept, I sleep in all day on Sundays. Um, it was lovely. It was one of the nicest online gigs I've been to by quite a way. It was just a really, mm. in- it was just so great how it felt like, I know we talked about it before on here, but it really felt like a community mm-hmm. at that gig. Like the audience was full of people who were obviously good writers, but also just very supportive of each other. And it really felt like the kind of feeling you get when you go to a local night where people are just mm-hmm. there and, and they've got their in jokes and they've got their kind of uh, traditional things that they do, um, but not in a kind of cliquey way. Yeah, all of this we should say is happening through the chat box. It is. It's not, which is, which is incredible, actually, to have something where you've got to type your answer and still get that sense of community. It is. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. the best thing that I can say about it um, was at the end of it, my partner watched it long, and at the end of it, she said, Wow, it had atmosphere at a Zoom call. That's, <laughs> that, I, I didn't think that was possible. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a really beautiful gig. Um, it was also just nice to perform again it feels like a little while since mm-hmm. i've kind of worn that hat there's been mm-hmm. like the being a writer and the being a kind of uh, you know co-host with you guys on this and being a promoter for the book but it, it's been a little while since it's felt like okay i've done a few open mics and things here and there but it was the first time really since lockdown of feeling like oh i just did a gig and nailed like nailed it it went well it went really well yeah, it felt, yeah, you know, yeah practiced beforehand and felt you know felt good to perform and that was something that I didn't realize I was missing at the minute (laughs) but I am so yeah that was really nice um been reading as well read um Aaron Boland's latest collection alternate endings which is great um and I haven't read Rick Dove's book yet but i did log in for the online launch of it that uh he was doing uh online which was really cool to watch along with so yeah those are kind of mostly the things i've been doing this month how about you hannah Mm -hmm. um so i have got rick's book with me and i'm oh god i I didn't finish it before i had to switch to reading Teresa lola's book for this Uh, but it's it's a 
It's a really, really strong mix. There's a few pieces which I've heard Rick perform a lot because he's a London regular and, you know, you, there's there's a few pieces I've heard a number of times, but it's always quite different seeing them, yeah, set out. They, they kind of hit you slightly differently. And then... Mm the way that they're interspersed with new ones, different ones. Yeah, I'm, I'm finding that. Just the kind of different angle on some familiar pieces is really, really interesting too. Um, what else have I been doing? Um, I was absolutely delighted to spot um, Joe Duggan's uh, poem uh, on Muddy Feet because that's one that I heard live a few times um, and, and really, really loved. So I like also that I can point people at it i feel like there's there's a kind of <laughs> yeah. status change it, it bec- the thing that you enjoyed becomes something you can then share with other people <laughs> that weren't there at the night when when it goes online yeah either either videoed to a high production value like this or just like someone whacks it on their like wordpress it's still yeah it, it becomes something that i can then point people at and share um, I'll be honest, I actually had that with your book this month. Um, so I, a friend of mine recently got, oh, she got made redundant just before lockdown came in, cool. like separate from, yeah. Um, and it's, she's just had a really rough time and she's been moving out of flats and stuff. And we were having conversations and I was like, I feel like, I feel like I'm just repeating Hannah's poems at her. <laughs> I should cut out the middleman and get her a copy of the book. And she's not necessarily somebody that would, that would, she's been to a few poetry nights, but she's not somebody that necessarily I think would pick up a poetry book. And I was like, no, no, you need to, you, you should read this. And uh, she, she texts me being like, I, I'm only a few poems in, but this is my life. Um, oh God. <laughs> yeah, this is how I feel. Um, so yeah, so I've had that with your books. So thank you for putting it in a, in a shareable, communicable form. Oh. Can I pick up on that and do a really egotistical one? Go for which it. is I went in to a bookshop for the first time in five months and found a copy of my book on the shelf. That was oh, exciting. That is the dream. Oh, <laughs> that's that's so cool. It was, but it was also like slightly like embarrassing because I was with a couple of other people who I didn't know very well. So I kind of all socially distanced, so I want to add. But um, yeah, it was very awkward being like, yeah, right, I wrote that book and this is the first time I've seen it on a shelf, but I'm not like, I'm not actually like jumping up and down because that would be so embarrassing, but also I kind of want to be. <laughs> <laughs> I did I did hear a story about the, the food writer, Jack Munro. It was written a book about, um, which was the, the tin can cook. So it was all kind of food, making nice food from tin cans. And was given a certain number of them by the publisher, but ran out mm. and wanted to buy another one for, um, I think, an ex-partner. Mm. And so went to the supermarket and bought a copy. Um, and as the kind of the checkout lady's putting it through, the checkout lady kind of goes, oh, that looks interesting. To which Jack Monroe goes, oh, thanks. <laughs> and then, of course, there's an awkward moment of like, oh, no, I, I wrote that and I'm, I'm buying my own book and there's a reason for it. Uh, that is a bit weird. <laughs> yeah. On a half-related note, Robin Ince had a whole bit about buying his own DVD off of eBay to keep the price up. <laughs> but someone that was des- someone who he'd bought this DVD off of, who realised the address of who he was, was sending it to, wrote a little letter along with it, like, "What? Why are you buying your own CD? What's with this?" And 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 yes, the the um yeah, there's there's all kinds of ways things can get awkward. <laughs> I didn't buy it, but I just want to stress I did not buy the copy of my own book that I found in the bookshop. 
No, you want did to you leave go, that for did someone you gorilla else. Sign it? No, I thought about it, but then COVID, and I just thought <laughs> let's yeah, avoid that. Yeah. yeah, but it was quite cool. <laughs> Amazing, Rebecca. What have I been up to this month? I mean, not a lot in poetry terms. I think I'm. I've realised how deeply in mourning I am for stuff before COVID, mm-hmm. and particularly poetry. And I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm at the bottom of the downswing and I need to kind of, you know, go back up again and sort myself out and mm. get on and do stuff again. Um, I, did, I did have a fun moment. So um, I know I said last month that I'd ordered Leanne Moden's book. So, yeah, so I, I, I kind of entirely forgot the title of this book and I kind of had forgotten it was coming and it arrived and it was in a handwritten envelope and it had like rainbow tape on the back. So I kind of thought Hannah had sent it to me because it's a sort of, you know, you would send me something with rainbow tape doing the envelope up. That'd be so So I opened it and out falls this thing that says, get over yourself on the front. And I thought, oh, fucking hell, I pissed Hannah off, haven't I? That does sound like that. I am not organised enough to send poison pen letters. (laughs) And I really... um... PG poison pen letter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so I've I've been enjoying that collection. Uh, Same with as Laurie, I've been reading Rick's book, which is really good. So, yeah, apart from that, I really have not done as much as I should have done. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to sort that shit out this month. I'm going to get on and do more things. Can I add one more thing, which is um, a couple of days ago, I saw Tyrone, Tyrone Lewis previous guest on the show has written a article for the metro um, oh, of course, about yeah. um having a national day of mourning for covid um covid sufferers and and people who've sadly passed away through it and in it he talks a lot about um the poet and good friend of all three of us uh, dean mckee mm-hmm. and his relationship uh with dean and it's a really oh i found it a really helpful thing to read as someone who was a friend of Dean, but also, you know, more widely. Um, it's mm. It's been very helpful reading that as a way of reading now that the kind of initial shock has passed, someone else's distilled thoughts about Dean and uh, his work. And I think if people haven't read that article yet, um, mm. it's, uh, it's, it's well worth a read uh, for people who knew him and for people who don't. Who, who didn't know him we did i did share it a few days ago on the uh, dead darlings twitter feed but i'll i'll retweet it again after this comes out so that people can uh, people can see it it's really cool and the campaign is to try and get uh the 23rd of march 2021 to be a national holiday um as a kind of day of reflection on all the just everything of covid but particularly oh, the people that passed away like almost like a kind of grave of the unknown soldier thing like just mm. numbers this big need a need a national outlet as well as the personal mm. and and not even just people who've died of covid specifically but people who've died during the crisis yeah. and you mm. know, we haven't been able to have funerals and mourn for them and you know that's yeah. that's a tough one yeah it's in it's, i just wanted to bring it up picking up on what you were mm. saying Rebecca about you know feeling on a downswing it's yeah I found it very helpful to read to read the thoughts of somebody else dis, you know distilling now that we've had a bit of time to reflect on mm. you know some of the really personal impacts that we're all having at the minute um so yeah not not cheery 
but mm. uh, important. No, but but I think I think I think it's worth acknowledging. I think that's kind of why I said it because I think I I don't know about anybody else. I definitely have a tendency to be like, nope, it's fine. Everything. I will just make a joke and I will find the funny line and I will find the positive thing in this day and it's going to be all fine. Mm. And I am fucking Pollyanna. And sometimes sometimes you just have to acknowledge that yeah you're on a downswing and that's just how it's going to be and you need to pause and reflect on that and so yeah i think i think it is important to talk about it and important to just acknowledge and not beat yourself up for feeling bad as well yeah. do you know what i mean yeah and i personally i feel like at the moment it, it really swings and roundabouts like you know good weeks and bad weeks but i feel like at the minute i've kind of slightly broken through to the other side fuck knows how long this will last obviously um mm. but one of the ways that I've been finally able to start writing a bit again, and this is a really mechanical one, it's not sort of like some philosophical anything, but just using a pen and paper, I realised mm. that for me, um, I I personally don't have any particular kind of method about when and where I write, you know, whatever I've got with me. It's not like, I always rise at six and I listen to the birds tweeting <laughs> in my bathrobe and then I write two hours, like, as and when. But um, with the very different ways that we're living now, like I found that I don't really have liminal time. Yeah. The kind mm. of on the go or, you know, killing time on my lunch break or whatever. That mm. That's like when I'm at home, my lunch break is at home and yeah. I have Wi-Fi and could be watching shite on YouTube or chatting to my girlfriend. Um, and so I found that actually a way of carving out space in some ways is just pen and paper. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I don't know if anyone else ha- finds that helpful or... No, I, I completely agree. Like, I haven't had my commute at all. And that's just, yeah, my writing's dwindled down to zero. And it weirdly, it feels like the antithesis of the tip Laurie gave the other month about stop making time to write. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I've been doing, yeah, Tim Clare's writing course, the revised mm-hmm. one, which I've been doing all pen and paper and... It's interesting what I found with not having the liminal spaces is po- listening to podcasts has gone way down. So actually it kind of kills two birds with one stone doing that because I'm <laughs> listening to a podcast and uh, writing by hand. Mm. Um, not every day, but most days. And that's Yeah, that is an industry-wide thing apparently on podcasts. I forget what the stats were. I know, I know um, somebody uh. was telling me, but it's something like, something crazy like a third or two thirds down. If you're listening to this, guys, any listeners listening to this, thank you. Because (laughs) I don't know where you're listening to this or how you're listening to it, but presumably you're probably not commuting to work. Maybe you are, you know? Yeah. And if you are, you know. We salute you. Yeah. So on that note, shall we do an interview? Let's do an interview. This month's interview is with Desri. Desri is a spoken word artist, writer and facilitator based in both London and Slough. Desri began a night called hashtag OMN in 2014 in her hometown of Slough. It was started with the aim of giving individuals of all ages and skills opportunities and essentially encouragement. It was at hashtag OMN that Desri performed spoken word on stage for the first time. Currently artist in residence for poetry collective Empowered and an ambassador for MQ, mental health research charity, Desiree explores intersectionality, justice and social commentary, occasionally throwing in a fuckboy poem. In January 2018, she competed at the Hammer and Tongue National Finals at the Royal Albert Hall and in 2019 received a highly commended at the Outspoken Performance Prize. 
She has featured at events all over the UK and internationally, including Glastonbury Festival 2019, Bowery Poetry Club New York, Royal Albert Hall, So Far Sounds, Sunday Assembly and Greenbelt Festival. Desiree has regularly appeared as a guest uh, along on BBC Radio Berkshire to discuss current affairs and has had her work published in Spoken Word London Anti-Hate Anthology, Mindful Seasoning magazine and broadcast on the television channel London Live. She has delivered a TEDx talk at Bath University titled Poetry and Self-Esteem, Finding Truth with Words and is also a spoken word educator and facilitator. She uses her art to encourage young people and adults in schools, youth groups, offices and organisations, anywhere with people who have a story. Following Desiree's sellout debut pamphlet, I Find My Strength in Simple Things, in 2017, she paired with visual artist Shannon Saunders to create her first zine, Find Yourself a Place, in 2019. So Desiree, welcome to the show. Uh, Could you give us a poem to kick us off? Yeah, I can. Um, So I'm going to do one that I've been doing a lot recently um, in light of like all of the BLM things, but what's sad about it and what I keep bringing up is that I did write it actually quite a long time ago. Um, I think I wrote this about four years ago, four or five years ago, after Philando Castile um, and Alton Sterling were shot like within days of each other. Um, And that was four years ago. And then all of everything happened and then life happens and then it's still relevant today, which is sad, but it's called Affording Justice. I do not want to have to write this poem for you. I do not want to watch you bleeding out in the street or in your car. I do not want to see them pin you to the ground. I do not want them to use only the top half of a family photograph so they can make you out to be some sort of demon because it fits in better with their story. I do not want to have to light a fire under this city so everybody knows what it feels like to burn. I do not want to have to hear I can't breathe, be your very last words. I do not want them to put a hashtag in front of your name and I do not want a riot to be your legacy. I do not want us to birth any more parentless children whose skin make them the enemy. I do not want to have to have the need to justify my existence with a catchy phrase. I do not want to have to explain. Black lives matter doesn't mean other lives don't again. I do not want to watch another mother cry for their baby on TV. And I do not want to hear another white man tell me how I should feel about my history. They are trying to break us. We can watch our children die on YouTube or more conveniently on our timelines. They recreated our jungles out of concrete, but our deaths aren't worth the airtime, see? Some may call it police brutality, systematic racism. I have a hard time calling it anything other than genocide. We were brought here in chains and they're confused because we still wear them. We were whipped and now we buy whips, live in cribs because our growth scares them. But this revolution will be televised, so it can't be whitewashed and swept over. You can be E.T. that we will no longer be bought by slave owners. If George Zimmerman could be found not guilty, then sell his gun to the highest bidder. Look how far we've come means that they've only stopped publicly calling us. It took Doreen Lawrence 20 years to get justice for her son. And Sarah Reid was found dead in her police cell. But look how far we've come. If Malcolm and Martin were around today, would their words still survive? See, we don't just have trigger fingers, we have Twitter fingers out here penetrating lies, perpetuating lies. We have become assistants in our own demise and I am not trying to write this poem again. I do not want us to have to bury any more of our women and men and I will not be seen as a victim. But I refuse to be a victim of this system. You cannot cage a person, degrade them and still demand their respect and patience. This movement isn't a product of frustration and age-old racism. We are not looking for special treatment. 
You just want to be a part of a system that isn't corrupted. In lands where our ancestors built the wells, when will we be able to afford justice? Thank you. That was so strong. Thank you. So, um, so the thing that really struck me about your bio, um, sort of reading it on the website, was was that you started a night, this night hashtag OMN, and then decided to get up and perform poetry. And I think for most people, quite often, it's it's the other way around. And I just wondered, how the hell did that come about? Like, what, what happened there? <laughs> Lack of self esteem, low. <laughs> <laughs> I joke, but yeah, it's actually true. Um, So I left uni um, and knew that I didn't really want to, so I did a drama degree, but I knew I really didn't want to be on like that side of the stage anymore. Um, But I wasn't really sure what that meant for me. Um, And Slough, like, Slough's such a place where like loads of people have all these talents, but like none of the actual like, finances that can support that like not that the opportunity is very scarce there in comparison comparatively to how much talent is there um so I just wanted to have a place where like people could show off um and then I the night was happening I'd booked like I'd made sure it wasn't even like an open mic that I'd been to I hadn't even been to that many open mics before so I didn't really know how they <laughs> they went <laughs> but I wanted to but I was like, I'm, there's no way I'm going to pay for this hall, pay for this. Le- I, bro- I booked a DJ, like an actual live <laughs> DJ. <laughs> awesome. Killing it. But I was like, I I'm not going to pay for everything and, and people aren't going to show up. So I booked acts. So like people had to like book before they got there. Hmm. Um, and then one of them just dropped out on the day. And I was reading something to my mum that I'd written earlier that day. And she was like, why don't you just do that thing that you read to me earlier in that spot? I was like, oh, okay then. <laughs> and then I quit my jobs. <laughs> now I do that thing that I, <laughs> to fill the spot like full time, which is a bit weird. But so you've been writing before that, though, right? Like... Yeah, since I can remember, like I've always loved writing. Um, I've always loved writing. I've always loved like creating stories um, in loads of different forms. So yeah, I've, I've been writing forever. And um, when did that sort of did that sort of naturally grow with your drama experience? I'm I'm always fascinated watching. I I came from a lit background and then had to learn how to stand on stage and perform. Whereas I feel like people who come from drama backgrounds tend to you you can spot it like the the performances there much sooner. Were they already kind of meshing sort of in your mind, or how did that? Well, um, so when I first started writing. Um, I didn't depend I always say I didn't but I I, I I actually don't think I did I didn't write down a, probably I would say 90% of the the poems that I had okay. because if, for me it was about how they sounded mm. um, rather than how they looked so there are some that are written down but like the majority of them I have to go through and like write down so when people like when people talk about stage presence I think about like listening to how it sounds Mm -hmm. so like the pause it like and also they develop as and as I grow as a person and as a performer and as different things become more important to me um like where the pauses are where the emphasis is 
Um, but it is, so it is thought about, it is definitely thought about, but probably not, not in a presence way, in a more sound way. Mm. I think if you've seen me perform, I am actually really awkward. I think we have all seen you perform. Yeah, that's that's not about that. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm just quite awkward person, but I know how I want things to sound, Mm. how things get created. If that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, it does. Um, And so when you uh, you did a TED talk at Bath Uni a couple of years ago, um, and you sort of talked about how your poetry is often drawn from your personal experience, and I think that's something that you know you have in common with with many poets. Um, And it's kind of where you wrestle with ideas of self esteem and ego. And and what is it about poetry as a form that you know allows you to express yourself in that way? What draws you to it? Um, The freeness of it, like that, like as much as like poetry like as much as there's like poetry and then there's all of these umbrellas and people believe certain things are good and certain things are bad like there is actually no rules <laughs> it's like I always bring this up and I always say I'm not gonna but I like I try to rap at some point in my life mm-hmm. and <laughs> I couldn't like the the idea of like having to stick in something was just like felt didn't feel liberating enough for me whereas now like you mean sound wise yeah yeah so like having to stick like to a certain beat or stylistically you you can play with it but Mm. at the time as well um as I was writing I just had a lot of things to say and just there wasn't enough bars Uh (laughs) Like it was just me, be, like Desiree, Desiree, it was only supposed to be a 16 and I'm like, like <laughs> um, so yeah, so I just found poetry like a bit more freeing. Yeah. Um, and then even now, like, especially like I've, I feel like as a writer, I've grown a lot over, um, since open mic night. Um, so <laughs> I feel like trying to, like if I try to write in a specific form, like I cannot, I don't have to write in that form. Like I could, that's where I could start. But if it turns into something else, then it's just a different poem. Mm. It's it's not a waste of my time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I feel really thick now, but I've only just worked out the hashtag OMN is open yeah. mic night. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Hey, you know, you never went. You know. <laughs> It's like the least clever title. <laughs> and, and yet was too clever for me, clearly. <laughs> hey, it's a great hashtag. Hashtags are hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there something also that... Uh, it's not anything I've picked up from your work or from seeing you perform, but talking now about sort of feeling awkward, etc. Like, is, is poetry a kind of... Does it feel lower stakes enough that you can I don't know it does it it feel like there's less barrier to starting in some ways versus Um, other mediums or I think um spoken word one of the beautiful things about spoken word and being poetry is accessible it's so accessible it means people can like there's people don't have to feel a certain way or be a certain way to do it but I actually found it the opposite at first um I get like coming from drama I felt more comfortable when I was pretending to be anybody other than me (laughs) 
I'm like, everyone's like, oh, read that poem that you wrote about that really failed relationship that you had. They're like, okay, cool, yeah, that seems probably not destructive. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so I suppose it's like kind of the opposite in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but also, I think it was the place I could be like most authentic. Um, mm. I think there's an authenticity about spoken word, especially with it, like even with poets that you love and poets that you don't like that much. Like one thing. Well, depending on who they are, but like one thing you can't fault is like the realness, even if it's not like directly yeah. good. Yeah. Or do you know what I mean? Mm. It's interesting when you watch when you watch anybody perform. You kind of I don't know, like implicitly just make this assumption that everything they're saying is is an authentic part of themselves, and it's not yeah. fictional in a way. Yeah. And then sometimes you suddenly realise halfway through that it clearly isn't. But like that that yeah. kind of authenticity feeling is always sort of a default, I think, even if it doesn't always stick to it. Someone said, and I can't, it is somebody, it's not me. I'm pretty sure it's not me, but I've not been able to find the quote since I've seen it. Um, but somebody started something, I can't, I, I can't even remember the context. Maybe it was me, but we'll, like, if so, then I'm quoting myself or am a genius. Um, <laughs> I think we stick with it was you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but it's the idea that, um, like, you go, before you go on stage, not everything I say is facts, but everything is true. Okay. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of my work, is that because as well I would I was gonna say maybe it's not because I think a lot of my work is true but it is true to me <laughs> like I'm sure if you spoke to anybody any of my poems are about I'm sure they have a very different version of events but <laughs> the, yeah. but yeah everything is true but not everything is factual yeah there is a truth to it I yeah I think like with with poems sometimes that are like tr- they're maybe truthful if not the truth like, yeah. they want to be the truth, but they are somehow from a place of truth, if it's yeah. good. <laughs> but also, like, we're poets, and, like, naturally, as humans, we, like, hyper, like we emphasise, we hyperbolize, we just, like, make everything a lot bigger than it is for the sake of the mm. story. And what's, there's that saying as well, like, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and I mean, also, like I, I says, I kind of, I did drama at uni as well, and I, I kind of, I can relate to what you're saying about characters uh, and sort of, you know, presenting yourself on stage. But I've always, I think, with the poetry and with anything like that, I've always felt that I'm presenting a version of myself that you yeah. can see, and I get to control that a little bit more than just, you know, one-on-one having a drink with somebody where I suddenly mm. become much more awkward than I am on stage. And I think there's <laughs> something about presenting. The, the 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 truth or the the version of yourself that you want to present as well there that it's a form of character almost yeah I've always said that like uh, the person who I am on stage like in the middle of a poem is like who I'd want to be at <laughs> 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 like, that level of like confident um, that is that is who I'd actually want to be instead of the ambling like rambling mess that is in between the poems <laughs> yeah but by doing it you are doing it right you'll be you'll be embodying that person so 
<laughs> for three minutes at a time. For three minutes at a time. That's <laughs> the, the perfect way of doing it, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Sucker. Um, so kind of with, with that in mind, with kind of poems that have sort of been drawn from your experience or from your truth, you've been performing for a number of years now. And so how do you... Um, how do you look back at older pieces and how do you feel about performing something that might be a snapshot of who you were then and may not be who you are now? How does that work for you? Um, to be fair, currently, my biggest issue with, not issue, trying to use more positive language, <laughs> the, thing that, <laughs> the thing that I'm struggling somewhat with, hoping to overcome, is that um, I've obviously only realized what a stanza was in the last like year because everything else everything else I'm reading of my own work is like is obviously me writing it so that it's somewhere rather than writing it mm. for anybody to read um mm. yeah and like I think with the poem with poems that I'm looking at and like that have been recorded or that I can look at the the audio for I don't necessarily have that same level of cringe. And also it is like, that's the beauty of poetry, isn't it? It's like a photo. It's like a snapshot of who I was at a certain point. Hmm. Um, And even if all of it isn't true anymore, there are elements of it that I can still reach inside myself and like touch, or there are elements, different elements now that feel much realer to me. Um, So like, like, for example, my esteem poem, like a lot of it, I still kind of, I'm still like playing with in terms of like who I am as a person, but then like the end bit where I'm like trying to find my own, um, trying to be my own like hype man almost, like that feels more real to me at the moment than it did at the time. Cause I know at the time I was like, this probably should end in some sort of positive way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's really good though. If you kind of outgrown, or not even outgrown, but yeah, you're further along the trajectory that you'd actually written out yourself. Yeah. In the process of making, yeah, that's. Oh, I've that. never thought about it like that. That's kind I of like it out of life. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, the poem you just performed for us now is is a few a few years back. You mentioned that you wrote it. Um, mm. So obviously, you know, there are some poems that sadly still need to be need to be reset. Yeah. And reiterated. I don't know. Do you, do you find that your um, that there are certain poems, obviously, like the one you've already brought up, brought up, where you feel like actually it's just as relevant and just as important now as before. Sadly, like a quite a few of my like more politically charged pieces um, are still as current as they were when I wrote them. I remember when I I did um, Affording Justice for like the first time just after, I think it was just after George Floyd. Mm. Um, and I got actually really teary because it just felt like, even in the poem I said, I do not want to have to write this poem again. And here I am like doing it again for somebody else's mm. child. Mm. And it's just like, that was a bit, that it does get difficult sometimes when, especially when like you feel very passionately about something and then fast forward four years and you've realized it's in, in the exact same place, if not different 
but mm. not less or more like do you know what I mean not nothing's got mm. better it's just different and that's quite sad sometimes yeah all the time I mean it's obviously really affecting <laughs> like you know hearing you read yeah. it now it's you know still you know it feels it feels like from your heart today as uh, as I'm sure it did four years ago you know yeah which is sad yeah just the, like totally that's <laughs> growth don't we like as humans we was going on about like growth and Darwin's theory and blah 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 but <laughs> yeah. this is like these things that affect like a large percentage of people still doesn't really get its get its limelight which is quite sometimes it can be quite like demoralizing but also in the same vein when you see people organizing when you see people um crowding like being together for whatever cause mm. it is whether it's black lives matter whether it's black trans lives matter like all of like all of them um it does give you kind of like a sense of like actually not everybody is shit yep <laughs> is that okay yeah, yeah of course oh yeah, yeah swearing's great yeah. <laughs> it's positively encouraged yeah i can't be expected to go a fucking hour without swearing so i don't know anyone else should awesome great it seems like you know poetry has a role in in this in you know in these in those kind of areas yeah definitely like when you think back to like oral history mm. like we we tell like poets tell stories we tell stories we like capture moments and then people are able to to look at those moments again like i, I think it's gonna it was it was very different for like my mum's generation say who's mm. like 70s 80s who like maybe all of the poets kind of wrote poems and then said them to each other in in a dark room at the bottom of some pub. Do you know what I mean? Like we do now, but mm. except now we have cameras. <laughs> and now <laughs> that whatever you said, whether it was like, fuck my ex or fuck the system, <laughs> that, yeah. is like now immortalized forever as a snapshot of who, either who you were or what the time was mm. for like, I, I, I can't imagine YouTube going, like, people not tuning into YouTube, but even if it isn't YouTube, it's going to be something else. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So I think it's, yeah, I think we've, we are, we're, we're storytellers. We, we can, as much as we um, comment, like we comment on society, we do have in some spaces the capacity to change it. Mm. Um, Mm-hmm. Number one, because we're human, but number two, because we're very gifted with words. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, we have to kind of do our bit almost. Yeah. And I think you're picking up on the kind of the YouTube point and the sort of, I, I feel like that's also giving poetry uh, an audience among people who wouldn't necessarily ever get up and perform mm. or write their own poetry. That, you know, um, uh, I was thinking of uh, Vanessa Casule's poem um, about the. Um, the Colson statue coming down that was shared I saw that two or three times on Facebook from people who weren't poets you know normally when a poetry video comes around it's it's poets but this was was people I knew in Bristol being like look at this poem this is exactly how I feel um and I thought that was really really interesting that kind of yeah yeah, 
That's I think that's my favorite thing. Like, and especially not like now I struggle with it. Not struggle with it. I now I look at it differently. Um, but when I first started doing poetry, mm. um, like we were just saying, like it was, it's so accessible. It means like anybody can have a go. Anybody can like learn to just kind of do it. So I found all of my validation in terms of being a good poet, mainly from people who weren't poets. Mm. Um, mm. And by that, I mean like in my house, <laughs> like <laughs> my friends and stuff. But like my friends and stuff. So like, and that, if somebody who doesn't, isn't, I feel like there's something different about somebody connecting with you on a level that isn't like, oh, you're a poet, I'm a poet or yeah. This is what I do. I go to poetry nights. When it's somebody that's like, actually, I don't, this isn't actually how I engage with any, like, me, like I don't really engage with poetry, but mm. I like your stuff. I think that's a really huge compliment. And if people yeah. say that, I think you need to kind of, like, listen, because it means that your work is able, is accessible. Like, you don't need seven degrees to be able to read it. You overcome <laughs> their, their, the initial barrier of poetry being a dirty word in some Yeah. 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 And I think there's a place for feedback from people who can say, I love that extended metaphor and what you were doing with acids there was really yeah. great. Your rhythm might need tweaking, but otherwise good. And then someone who can just go, oh, what you were saying there, I really felt that and I really enjoyed yeah. it. And it's, it's weird because now I'm feeling, only now I, I feel a bit seen in both, at, at both um, sides of that coin. Mm-hmm. So like before, a lot of it, was to like a lot of the way I write in general, I suppose. Well, I suppose every, the way everybody writes, the way poets, po- the point of poetry is to like invoke emotion. Mm. So, like, mm. if somebody tells you that they have felt an emotion from your piece, you're like, wow. <laughs> um, and now, when people are like, okay, cool, this is good and everything, but like, I just like assonance and linguistic semantics and all of that, and you're like, okay, cool, this is. This just adds another layer rather than strips back. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting going back to what you were saying earlier, um, Desiree, with the, like, only just learning a stanza this year. Like, you know, it doesn't, I think among some people, there's this feeling of, oh, you need to know all that stuff. You, it's, it's nice, but it's, it's, not, it's not like the qualific- qualification of whether or not you're, a writer or a good writer like yeah. like you know of the great can be useful but that's not the that's not actually it's like lots of great musicians can't read music right like lots yeah. of great yeah. poets couldn't tell you they're like i don't know like all the technical gubbins it doesn't actually mean <laughs> mean anything really it just works yeah and i think as well like from from my own like sense of this is going to sound awful and obviously I don't mean it like this now, but I feel like before when I didn't critique, I didn't see my own writing as literature. Okay. So that's why it's like, cause I like when I, I had this really weird moment when I was looking at um, like my pamphlet, which has absolutely no line breaks in. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why did I do this? Like, <laughs> Like, what was, like, why, why, I know what a line break is, because I went to, like, I've I've read poetry, so why, why why does it look like this? And it was, I think it is that, I think I didn't see my own work as literature, Mm. so I didn't have to adhere to any of those, like, 
ideas because that's actually not what I was doing. I was doing something different. Yeah. Um, so it's like trying to find, like, no, Desi, this is literature and I don't know, make that sentence shorter. <laughs> <laughs> what you is it do you start. think changed your, changed your perspective on that? Um, learning, reading, being around people who... When you're around such, like, I love, this is what I love and miss about, like, poetry poetry nights and, like, everybody kind of, like, getting together or just, like, being able to sit in the room with another poet mm. is that, like, everybody loves it. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to say. Sorry. There is a, a feeling of sharing and exchange, isn't there, in poetry nights that... It, yeah, and it, and people are so good that you want to be good too. Mm, yeah. So it's like, okay, what can I do to make this better? Or and I, the moment I started reading like poetry, like religiously, I read so much poetry now, um, mm. mainly because of lockdown. But like, I'm going to pretend that that's not the only reason. <laughs> um, but like, people like how beautifully people craft sentences and how like wonderfully people can say things is like what like I want to say that these things as beautifully as they have mm. like what can I do to make myself like to to write like that like what what do I need to tweak like I can look at I had a, um also some like conversations with uh Rachel Long who mm. is amazing <laughs> like, she's just so amazing. She's brought, up, brought um, out her new book recently, hasn't she? I think. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful, and she um, and the way that she just speaks about poetry is like this genuine love for it. But the, then when she explains things to you, it's not from any place of like, no, that's not how you do it. This is poetry. She'll like explain things, like she, she tells stories, and you just feel like absolutely like I want to be good, and I can be good because I just needed to know this a piece of information. And I think I feel like that happens a lot in like, especially in like literature. It's like there are gatekeepers that hold the information, mm. and like everybody else kind of just either adheres to it so that they can get through the gate, or they they don't get through the gate. <laughs> just they're just wandering around but um yeah I think yeah but basically reading learning um listening to people listening to poetry reading more poetry I read uh this beautiful collection uh again Rachel Long um suggested it to me it's called um Stag's Leap it's by Sharon, oh, Sharon Olds. yeah I have like and that would never have been a poetry collection that I would have picked up Mm. So, um, they just gave me the like this this reading list um, that was on it. I read it, and never have I felt anything so visceral. It's a fantastic collection. Beautiful. I felt like I was going through the divorce as well. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's about it's all about her divorce. <laughs> I at one point I like at the end I cried, mm. and I was like on the phone. My girlfriend rang me. She was just like. <laughs> you're right I was like love is so hard I was like nothing I've just been reading <laughs> I read it uh, just after uh, just after I like finished writing the draft of my um, 
my breakup collection and then and my, my friend had recommended it to me while I was reading it, but was like, don't read it till you finish. <laughs> like, get your draft, <laughs> then read it. <laughs> and yeah, I'm glad I yeah. did. It's an awesome collection. <laughs> Beautiful. And you're obviously really involved in being a facilitator and an educator as well. So, see, you've just put all this down to learning, but you're kind of teaching and uh, facilitating as well. What kind of... Can you tell us a little bit about that? That's probably the best question I can ask. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think we, we're all students. We should all, like, strive to be students, right? We should all just strive to learn. Um, and if I know it, um, I would like somebody else to know it as well so that they have the tools in which they can create things and then they can tell somebody else because – it feels a bit silly sometimes to be like, mm, I know all this stuff, but I just want to keep it to myself. I'm learning so much like from so many different avenues. Like I've, I can do these workshops if I, especially during COVID, like this, obviously it's been very difficult to like, well, as a performer, <laughs> near on impossible. Yeah. Um, so workshops. So I do these workshops and then if I so I with that workshop, so say if I, I make some money from it and then I'm able to do a workshop myself and I learn something new, surely I could feed that back because technically those people paid for me to learn that new thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know it sounds like a very convoluted way, but it is like I I only know what I know because I've we all only know what we know because of the spaces that we inhabit. And the spaces that we are able to inhabit, and I think that's really important. Like accessibility, especially in the lit, like in literature, is like not great. <laughs> so mm. if I know something, I should tell somebody else, especially somebody else that looks like me, especially somebody else from the same town as me, especially somebody else I know wouldn't be able to be, wouldn't be able to to access this if it wasn't for this free workshop that this charity pays me to do, so that I can do, I can write more. It's, it, it's, it, it would be very strange to me to like just want to keep all of this to myself Yeah. when it's been so helpful for me. And also, I, like, I, there are some, like, during, throughout COVID, I've had, like, quite a lot of groups of, like, very, like, very varied age. Like, mm. I have one workshop that is, like, the youngest person is 14, the oldest person is 84. Yeah. Um, and... Like they're, they get so much from just being in the space, irrespective of what I've said. Like they get, like it was a level, we created this level of community where every Thursday or every Tuesday we were able to hang out. Mm. And as I said to them on multiple occasions, I've seen, I'd seen, I have seen some of them because they followed me to workshops more than I've seen like my actual parents. <laughs> <laughs> What a weird um, time. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but yeah, it's just about creating, um, for me, I suppose, in like all aspects in terms of like creating spaces that everybody can, everybody feels comfortable in. Uh, and how do you do that? I'm, I'm all, partly I'm always after tips and partly like everyone's got a different definition of what, what that means. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think there's like a, like a recipe to it um, mm. for me. I make a point of not referring to it as a safe space because it's not. 
Um, I, do, I have absolutely no control over what other people do or say. I'm going to let everybody know what is allowed in the room, but I don't, I'm not, I'm never going to tell someone whether or not they should feel safe. Me and um, one of my friends had this conversation the other day because never have we felt like more unsafe in places that were supposed to be safe spaces. <laughs> like that is the nature of it. Um, also, I think uh, I do, especially like with younger um, groups, I, always start with like a silly kind of icebreaker question. So everybody talks in like the first five minutes so that you like, nobody feels uncomfortable to talk again, if that makes sense. Um, I pretend slow that people have um, the three options. They do actually have three options, but I also make it very clear that I want them to share their poem. So, so I, so the three options are you can share your poem, you can tell us about your poem, or you can pass. But I phrase it like, you can share your poem, please share your poem. You can tell us about your poem if at a very push you can pass, but don't. But also, if you need to, please pass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to make the opt-out so easy that people feel like they'd be hogging space by doing the thing that you... Yeah, exactly. And, this, and also, like... Um, a lot of, one of the main things in my workshops is discussion. So we talk about whether it's poems, we talk about whether it's like feelings, we talk about something so so that people don't feel afraid to talk. I think, because that's the really the biggest hurdle, especially like online. Yeah. It's like that awkward Zoom silence, isn't it? <laughs> so you have to kind of like just, I just create space where everybody, like no opinion is like nothing, you can't say anything silly. Because I've probably already said 12 things silly. <laughs> so everyone feels comfortable. Also, who, who is it you run workshops for? How do, they, how do people find you if they want to take part? Or is it a sort of local? So there's been a few um, over this old quarantine. Um, <laughs> so I've been, write, um, I've been doing workshops with Writers and Scribes. I've been doing workshops with Empowered. I've been doing workshops with Home Slough. I've been doing workshops with Theatre for Life. Um, who else have I been doing workshops with? That's all I can I can gather at the moment. That's a pretty chunky list already. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and they're like courses as well. So, so it's like I'll have the same group maybe for four weeks or five weeks or six weeks, which is nice because you get to know people. You get to know people's writing style. Mm. At first, as well, I had a problem with critiquing critiquing people's poetry because I feel like it's very personal. But now I'm now I know more. I can <laughs> <laughs> go for it. <laughs> but also, I think it's I was never gonna say to somebody like, "Oh, I hate that line." It's about asking questions. So I just ask people to justify their decisions, and if they can't justify it, then they need to make a good decision. Hannah um, Gordon said to me once, which was when we were talking about um, some work. She said, um, "If you have to." If your editor, if some, if an editor grabs your work and says, like, this needs to change, but you are adamant that it needs to be in because it does X, Y, and Z, you haven't done X, Y, and Z well. You, 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 because you had to fight for it. Like, if you have to fight for it because it's important to you, you need to make it clearer. And I was like, yeah, oh my god, yeah. Now I can stop crying. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people catch you? Do you have a Patreon, YouTube? I should get one, right? 
Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't feel like I do enough. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't produce enough content. I feel like it, it feels quite um, like I have to. I've, I'm, I seldom like things that I have to have to do hmm. that only that nobody's going to chase me out for (laughs) (laughs) writers need external deadlines that's right (laughs) yeah exactly so if it was like oh i have a patreon page and every thursday you get a blog that's actually not going to happen and i'd prefer not to (laughs) over promise (laughs) yeah um sorry so the answer to that was no (laughs) (laughs) Uh, where can people find out more about you and find out more about your workshops as well um, so I have a website. Um, my website is www.iamdesiree.co.uk. So I am D-E-S-R-E-E.co.uk. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter um, at Desi, which I probably should, will change. Uh, but for now, it is <laughs> D-E-Z-Z-I-E-E underscore. Cool. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I am honoured. thanks for joining us now it's time for our writing tips section in this section we ask one of our favorite poets for a piece of writing advice or a prompt which you can use in your own work this month alexander woody woodward shares a tip hello my name is alexander woodward and i've been asked to give you some tips on how to improve your own poetry craft and i've decided to give you tips on performing um the first And most important thing everyone knows is uh, to be confident on stage. And confidence is easy to fake. So even if you don't feel confident, I can, I hope, help you do it. The first and most important tip is to rehearse your poem. If you're doing improvisation, that's a separate thing. But if you're pre-planning your act in any way, shape or form, form make sure you've at the very least read it out loud to yourself before going on stage with it you'll get familiar with it you'll identify things that you stumble over when speaking them out loud and you'll not surprise yourself the second tip is to slow down it's very easy to speak too quickly when you're nervous and adrenaline is a hell of a drug you can slow down more than you think and slowing down gives the audience time to absorb your words and slowing down makes it seem like you're owning the stage you're you're not apologizing for your presence related to this is the fact that you should not be afraid of silence you can and i've done this with directors you can stand in a room and occupy space on stage for a good call it eight ten seconds before it starts feeling weird If you want to make your audience feel weird, you can extend it, but you can pause and take time to collect yourself, particularly if it helps you uh, avoid the adrenaline poisoning. Next, mistakes happen. 
don't panic. A tip I once got from a woman known as Debris. Uh, I knew her as Deborah Stevenson. She taught me in the roundhouse when I was there in that collective for a year. Um, pretend like you paid for it to happen and enjoy the fact we're doing a live medium. Uh, third and finally, keep your intro short. If it's needed in the poem for them to understand it, if it's needed for them to understand it, put it in the poem. If not, cut it. Okay, I think that's all I've got to say. Uh, I'm reminded of my own tips here and I've just gone 17 seconds over time, which is unfortunate, but we're all learning together. Okay, I love you. I hope you're well. Goodbye. So now it's time for our book of the month, which is In Search of Equilibrium by Teresa Lola. And this one was chosen by Rebecca. So, Rebecca, why did you choose this book? Actually, I think much like uh, we've often said on the podcast, um, I had it and I haven't read it yet. And uh, <laughs> Teresa Lola is somebody that kind of, you know, is one of those sort of young poets that is everywhere. Actually, it feels like you know, she's kind of particularly in London because she's the young person's or young poet laureate for London. Um, so she kind of crops up on the radio and TV all the time. Um, and I just actually haven't really, I've, I've sort of read the odd one of her poems and sort of seen the odd one of her poems, but never actually sat down and read it. So I thought, yes, this would be a, a good opportunity to. Um, so yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I really loved it. So it's largely about dementia or about her, her grandfather, um, him having dementia and then his death and kind of her grieving process through that. Um, and yeah, I just thought it was a really lovely book. Uh, what did you guys think? It's interesting what you're saying about Teresa because I also feel like she is one of those people who I've constantly heard the name, constantly seen the picture, constantly seen she's doing this gig, she's doing that gig, she's working on this, working on that, and I'd never actually heard or read any of her poems. So mm. it was really nice to finally get a chance <laughs> to, to do that because, yeah, it's a really enjoyed the book as well um i thought it was a really well thought out and well threaded collection exploring yeah um a difficult issue and taking a lot of different angles on uh, grandfather's dementia i mean rebecca you and i have both written about uh both had grandparents affected mm. by it and have both written poems about it before when I picked up the book, I didn't realize that was what I was going to be getting. And I mean, it always packs a punch reading about dementia, mm. and particularly when it's w as well written as this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that feeling of from so many different angles and so many, and it never feels like, it never feels kind of repetitive or like, oh, we're talking about this again. Um, although, you know, actually with dementia, I feel like that would work. That's kind of a part of it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, that, that um, yeah, like you were saying, it's beautifully threaded together. It's a lot of but just all these kind of slightly the different nuances and the different heartbreaks that come with it. Um, I thought that there's a really beautiful one about kind of um, remembering song and um, mm. uh, uh, the song I can see clearly now. Mm. And 
the the fact that 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 kind of your brain stores song in a slightly different place so Mm. people with dementia can remember the songs and sort of what that means to her grandfather and kind of the moment that he is back in being himself yeah it's a scene in which um he is being bathed by her grandmother um in that poem and he one of the lines is he says you look like the girl mona mona i danced with um who she obviously is and has been for a, a very long time um and that feeling of not recognizing family members definitely rings very true um mm. of of someone who uh you know when you when you have a loved one who has dementia and and there's an there's another bit where she takes a different angle on that where it's something along the lines of and i'm paraphrasing because i can't quite find it but it's something like talking about how it feels to not be recognized by her grandfather anymore um and it's very kind of deeply affecting. And it's and her grandfather was uh, evidently a computer engineer, mm. and so it uses form in all kinds of interesting ways. With um, this one called cutting back on work shifts, but it's set out like HTML. It's got the uh, the triangular brackets. I forget what they're called. Um, setting out heading and and body paragraph. Um, but there's one bit where. So the the image the the HTML for an image is there, but then the image title is uh, the floors of heaven are cobbled with the gold teeth of our wisest uncles we dismissed as eccentric dot jpeg, and then the 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 uh, HTML to close that image, and it's it's yeah, and the 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 the, the dimensions are given as width equals infinite and height equals infinite, and it's just yeah, yes. it's very clever. And then error four hundred four messages, yeah, the 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 different angles she brings to it i found yeah it's 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 very very considered page poetry like there's no kind of like i don't know if she's won any big literary gongs yet but it will not surprise me when it happens but also it feels very fresh and innovative and i mean i i work with html most of the time and i i I really really appreciate seeing it (laughs) um used in these like infinite width is a thing that is a thing that you can do when you're (laughs) when you're coding and yet also jesus christ it yeah yeah fill fill the whole screen so as wide as the screen for the width and yeah um Hmm. and also there's one called uh, insomnia is a cheap drug which is set out as a table presumably like in a kind of healthcare setting Mm. so cause of use how it was first discovered effect of use but then listing Mm. the effects of her own insomnia and how and when and and yeah it's it's i don't oh god it's really strong but in a way that i feel like I, I, I can just pick bits out and read them out and tell you how good they are, but I'm not sure yeah. I've got any overarching. It's fucking good. It's fucking solid. Read it, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, that I think for me, the thing that strikes me about the collection is the way that it pulls out a lot of quite disparate forms in order and and inspirations in order to give you this narrative like mm. you say with the html that's an interesting one you've also got these like there's a couple that are 
sort of wiki how based on wiki how um mm. articles and part a part of me always freaks out when i see a poem that's like this one's in html i'm like oh no this is like gonna be some pretentious nonsense or it's just there for the sake of it kind of thing yeah but, or just kind of hollowly clever yeah but it's not it's it's done mm -hmm. with interesting um with interesting thought behind it and then on, on one hand you're thinking oh okay so this is going to be like you know kind of like i don't know almost like not quite geeky but like moving towards a kind of more techie kind of side of of poetry mm. but then it goes in but then you've got like golden shovels you've got garzels you've got sylvia plath you've got like there's a you've got hip-hop there's a whole poem about jar rule yeah. and the apocalypse and it's like oh okay this this yeah. uh collection isn't just moving in one direction it's it's pulling from a lot of different areas and kind yeah. of boiling it all down into this really rich kind of stew mm, there's also the kind of biblical biblical kind mm, of lots of bible prayer, uh talks about yoruba culture as well it feels like almost like the work of a lot of different poets like if you told me that it was a collection about uh past not quite but if you told me it was a collection about dementia from different poets in different styles i'd go oh yeah okay i can i can i can see that but the fact that it's one poet who's just trying out a lot of different elements and making a lot of them work so successfully is i yeah. think for me what makes it an interesting collection to read um, mm. because I never felt because if we're going back to this is a this is a collection that's about about dementia about loss about the relationship with her father depression um, and grief and depression yeah. and grief and, and and race comes into it as well uh, and if you just said it's kind of a theme collection around all that you might you might go okay well how much can you say about that that's interesting and unique and different and actually the answer is by pulling on all these different elements and different kind of texts she she makes it interesting it's not it's never boring mm. and there's one called lazarus um about all the mothers who had dead sons that jesus like in in contemporary times if jesus has just resurrected lazarus all the other people who've lost someone who are going why not mine and that that new angle is both the kind of expansive grief, but also the kind of the smallness of it sometimes, the pettiness, like the 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 every emotion from from huge gratitude to a, for the person that you knew through to the really shitty emotions about it's not fair. Fuck yeah. this. Why not your son instead? Um, what made me think a lot of um, Colm Tobin's The Testament of Mary. I don't know if it's deliberate, but it's that kind of thinking of like the, the Bible through women's eyes and the fact that they are not sat there being angelic. They're sat there being, like you said, kind of petty and angry and human and kind of like, actually, you know, fuck this. Mm. Um, this is unfair and unjust and it's not godly. And, you know, here are the problems with it. Yeah. Mm. The next poem in the collection, which is on the next page, Blessed Are the Mothers of a Dead Child, oh, um, is like, if we're talking about... Um, Hannah, your point about the expanse of grief and also the personal, very small element of grief. Um, mm. It's almost like Lazarus is kind of like the wider, kind of more ex, extrospective look on that. And then Blessed of the Mothers of the Child really hones in on the specifics. And it talks about her grandmother again. Um, 
and it's just a really fascinating one to read as my parents went through that and to um to read about it in that way is a really powerful thing um and it's interesting one of the things that really strikes me as well about the collection is it's not fiction um like say the Ilya kaminsky that we read a few months ago um mm. but there are still characters in it like mm. the grandfather the father the grandmother who's called mona and she gets referred to both as grandmother and as mona throughout the collection um and it feels like you really get a sense of these characters it feels very part memoir as a book mm. which i love and then it and it gives you that personal element too it means that when you read a poem like lazarus that can stand on its own very much as a kind of you could read that and not have any of the rest of the context and really get it but then the the poems where it's referring to specific family members then give you the context to unlock lazarus in a different way Hmm. And it also doesn't necessarily follow a kind of trajectory of, you know, he was ill, he died, I was sad, and now I'm happy again. Like there are poems that go up and down. There are poems where there's a kind of peace with it. And then there are poems where the grief is raw again, the way grief does go round in in, in peaks and troughs or, or loops. or hmm. you know, It's not linear strictly, yeah. is it? No. It's a... Like there's a little run of poems all about the funeral specifically, which, yeah, is just a really lovely little section and, and talking about, you know, uh, it just, it's interesting because you could write, then there was a funeral in one sentence, but what she chooses to do is split it over, I can't, I can't remember exactly how many poems, but say i think there's about a run of about four of them that kind of go into different angles and different aspects like there's one reporting live from grandpa's funeral where it's set out as a transcript of a tv show um one of them's a prose poem of everybody kind of just telling stories about him that is beautiful so that one's called pass the parcel i really love that one which mm. is uh, at my grandfather's funeral we pass around a dead man's name like a pass the parcel game each person unwrapping a new layer of him and they mm. all tell their stories of him and they get a new a new version of him and i just thought that was really beautiful yeah and that one as well mentions the the johnny nash song i can i can see clearly now referencing back to earlier in the book and you really get a sense of you you know who her grandfather is to her even if her grandfather doesn't know who he is um and that's a really powerful thing for the book to do um, brilliant uh any any other thoughts we want to share on this or i don't think so other than that i would definitely recommend it <laughs> yeah no it's it's lovely it is a, a fabulous piece uh of, of work and yeah i kind of want to buy it for family members as well actually it's one of those ones you want to press into other people's hands and sort of go, know this. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so that is In Search of Equilibrium by Teresa Lola, and that's published by Nine Arches Press. Now it's time for the notice board, where we spotlight 10 or so opportunities to look out for when you can perform your work or submit it for publication. Hannah, what have you got for us? So uh, I 
believe I said on a previous one, but it's still open until the 31st of October, there is the National Poetry Competition. That's poems of up to 40 lines and... The top prize is £5,000. Second Ooh. prize is £2,000. Uh, open till 31st of October. So if you go to npc.poetrysociety.org.uk, you can get all the details there. Um, Dear Damsels, which is a women's writing magazine, and they've always got a theme. Um, they are currently looking for... Uh, they take prose poetry and i think some visual stuff as well but i can't remember the specifics because i've always been focused on the writing um and their theme for the next edition is shift so up until the 20th of september uh, you've got up until the 20th of september to get in your poems and prose and other visual stuff check out the details on their website which is deardamsels.com and the final one is the Troubadour International Poetry Prize 2020 uh, is open until the 28th of September. Um, I don't believe they have a theme um, particularly, uh, but poems in English, 45 lines or less. And they have a top prize of £2,000. Again, these are it, these are the big ones to have those kind of that amount of money in. So there will be a lot of competition, but you got to be in it to win it. Sorry, did somebody say poetry and money? In the same thing, right? I don't buy it. <laughs> and that's why there's no money in poetry. Yeah, I believe there is a an entry fee for both of those. I can't remember, but details will be on the websites. And for Troubadour International Poetry Prize, it is uh, www.coffeehousepoetry.org forward slash prizes for all the details. Cool. Uh, Laurie, what have you got? So I've got the London Writers Award, which is a program with Spread the Word. Uh, it's their annual writer development program. They're looking for London-based unpublished writers from backgrounds who are currently underrepresented in publishing. And it's and the goal of it is for you to complete a step change in your life as a writer and ultimately find an agent and or a publisher for your work. Um, you can find details at spreadtheword.org.uk and the deadline for that is Wednesday the 30th of September. Next up, poets Vidyan Ravindran, Sash Trevet, and Seni Senevitrani, apologies if I've butchered any of the names there, are editing an anthology of post-independence Tamil, Sinhala and English poetry out of Sri Lanka and related diasporic communities. And that's going to be published by Bloodex. Uh, the poems can be originally written in English or translations of works from Tamil and Sinhala. There is no deadline for the submissions, um, and you can submit up to eight poems on any theme to outofsrilanka at gmail.com. So, submissions are now open for next year's Society of Authors Awards. Uh, the awards recognise the best and most promising writers of each year. And in the most recent one, the Society of Authors released a series of short, powerful videos celebrating 32 authors across nine awards. And they shared an £100,000 prize fund, which is pretty damn good. Uh, I don't know how much of that goes towards the Poetry across Award. How many? <laughs> it's across nine different awards. Um, and I imagine they are doing a similar thing this time. Uh, you can find out more information on the Society of Authors website. We're really going for the big hitters this month, aren't we? Yeah. And anything from you, Rebecca? 
Yep, I've got the uh, Oxford Brooks International Poetry Competition. Um, that deadline for that is Monday, fourteenth of September, and the winners will get a thousand pounds. It is uh, poets aged eighteen and over across the globe, and there's an open category, and then uh, there's also a category for people who are speaking English as an additional language. And so, winners of each category w- will receive a thousand pounds, and both runners up uh, two hundred pounds. That'll be judged by Fiona Benson, who is uh, is a full poetry prize winner. And you can find out more about that on www.brooks.ac.uk forward slash poetry dash centre forward slash international dash poetry dash competition. Uh, and then uh, actually an event. Um, on the 4th of September, we'll have the Hammer and Tongue Cambridge Regional Final, which will include me and a shitload of really good poets because Hammer and Tongue went online during the lockdown. And so it just means there's kind of a fantastic selection of poets from all around the country. I will say the Cambridge poets are also awesome. So there's some fantastic mm. Cambridge poets that have got through. And then there's also uh, just a really interesting selection of poets that have been from across the UK, um, I think possibly the world, uh, who've got involved. So yes, I would check that out. So that's on the 4th of September. And you'll find the links for that if you look on Facebook for Cambridge Hammer and Tongue final. Um, but yeah. That should be good. Uh, so in a moment, we're going to have our live perm of the month to play us out. But before we do that, anything you guys want to plug? I am hosting Insight, the LGBTQ plus uh, night, which is run by Forum Plus, an anti-hate crime charity in Camden and Islington. Um, and we have a monthly night, which is on Zoom for the foreseeable. Uh, so the September one is going to be on the 23rd of September, Wednesday, and that if you look for search for insight poetry on Facebook or if you go to forum plus spelt out uh, dot uk um, and it's the 10 year anniversary. So there's going to be various it's been through various hosts, including sort of Cell West, Cat Brogan. So we're going to try and get as many people back as we can for that for sort of. Yeah. Ooh, reunion. Poetry reunion. Yeah. Brilliant. Laurie, <laughs> anything you want to plug? Sure. Uh, My book, Biceps, is still out now in bookshops, if you can get to one, or also through my website, which is laurieeves.bigcartel.com. Laurie Eves is spelled L-A-U-R-I-E-E-A-V-E-S.bigcartel.com. You can also find me on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. I'm at Laurie Eves Poet and on Twitter, I'm Mr. Leaves. You can find me on Twitter at Rebecca K. Cooney, on Instagram at any name but Becky. And my website is RebeccaKCooney.wordpress.com. Uh, you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram as at Dead Darlings Pod, um, Facebook as Dead Darlings Podcast, and you can email us at deaddarlingspodcast at gmail.com. If you've liked what you heard, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I believe particularly Apple Podcasts is helpful, but anywhere you want to leave a review is great uh, and help us spread the word. Our poem of the month this month was performed by Joe Duggan and it's called What Is This Worth? Uh, and we've had a little help this month from Muddy Feet. This was originally recorded as a Muddy Feet video. Um, so they've allowed us to take the audio from that. So thank you very much, Muddy Feet. I would recommend checking them out on Facebook and YouTube. They do fantastic poetry videos um, and they're just so very lovely and there's some great poetry there. So before we share Joe's poem with you, uh, I just want to say thank you to him for letting us showcase his work, to Woody for his tip, Thank you to my co-hosts, Hannah and Laurie, to Desiree for joining us, uh, to Texas Radio for our theme music, to Muddy Feet again for the audio, and to you for listening. Bye. 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 Bye.
In Kensington, they tell the Russian who owns the English football team that a kitchen is worth two million, a million alone for a kitchen sink. And the chorus ripples outwards to the suburbs. What is this worth? What is this worth? None of us in the stupid jobs can afford ourselves. The teachers and nurses, poets. But instead, we take a night in, walking around our flats, opening cupboard doors. What is this worth? What is this worth? We decide to go for a walk in Crystal Palace Park, but it's cordoned off by the clown mare, leading around businessmen in suits, pointing at playgrounds, trees and ponds, chortling like an estate agent on cocaine. What is this worth? What is this worth? We go to the shops, but are stopped by young women with flipboards who want to know what we would like built on the last available piece of green. A, a Tesco. B, an oil rig. C, an interpretive centre about workhouses. D, an interpretive centre about our lost parks. Or E, a mixed usage residential block, including at least one affordable flat for the caretaker. I ask her about libraries or hospitals or maybe even planting a few more trees. But she gives me a quizzical look and says, there's no box for that. And anyway, what is that worth? What is that worth? We take a day by the sea, but all the way down, we look at small houses in nice villages with good shops. What is that worth? What is this worth? So that the earworm rings as our Instagram kerchings at the everything we see, the pebbles, the sky, the burnt out pier. We cannot afford ourselves here either. The ones who took the worthless jobs, the builders, the nurses, all the poets who can't afford to stop for adjectives, but instead are condemned to end every verse of our rushed lives with a repeating chorus. What is this worth? What is this worth?